0: A reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verses 27 through 38. When Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? One of the prophets. They answered him, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are set, setting your mind on not divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, we'll save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks be to God. And gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be holy and pleasing to you, that that in your word for us this day, we would continue to dive deeper into this good news that Jesus offers to us, that we would wrestle with it, that we would see it for what it is, and that in the end, we would know that it is through your grace and love that it is offered to us each and every day. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So you know, losing a loved one is probably one of the hardest things that any of us go through. In 2019, my grandmother passed away and there's still not a lot of time that goes by where I don't think about her or where I don't experience grief around her death. Even when I think around my family, Sarah's grandmother having died a few years ago now, Leah still comes around to us saying, "I miss Grandma." And Sarah and I just look at her and say, me too. Even when death seems expected, when it comes at the end of a long period of suffering, it doesn't make it any easier. And this is why when I read passages like this one, my mind often reflects as to why Peter reacts the way he does. I mean, can you think about it? An action that precipitates a response of get behind me, Satan. I mean, we see Jesus' response as he finishes up in in verse thirty three. Right, we see it come through, and we see an almost wish that that wasn't the reaction that was offered. But thinking about it in the essence of our faith, can any of us blame Peter? Can any of us even blame Jesus for his response, knowing what Jesus, who Jesus is meant to be? Peter rebukes Jesus for who, for, not for who he is, but because of what Jesus says he has to do in order to fulfill the good news. That's why I added the front part. The lectionary actually begins at verse 31 where Jesus starts telling his disciples. But I think that that opening part really begins to help us to understand more deeply Peter's response in this text. Because Peter, yes, Peter knows who Jesus is. He has no problem stating that Christ is the Messiah. However, that does not negate Peter's view on who Jesus is for him. The fact is that in that moment, that is verse 33, Peter is not feeling that this is good news. You know what? I think that tells us that sometimes the good news of God, it doesn't necessarily always feel good. The fact is that in that moment, Peter can't see it as good news. Because for him, the good news means that there's going to be loss in his life. And sometimes we see that the good news of God is a tough pill to swallow. But as we're going to come find out that that is what it makes, that's what makes it good news. Right, we have three sections to the scripture in front of us today. We have the first section is this reminder for the readers of the gospel as we're going through the gospel of Mark. We're almost bystanders on this journey of Christ. And so when we get to verse 27, we continue to be bystanders. And reading the gospel, we see who Jesus truly is, right? This is, a, this is meant to be an opportunity for the disciples and Jesus to come in and interact. It's like, what do people, who do people say that I am? And of course, they give the stock answers, right? You're Elijah, you're, you're John the Baptist, you're all of these different things. And then Jesus is like, Jesus doesn't tell them the answer. See, that's the funny thing. Jesus doesn't tell them who they are. They're like, well, who do you think that I am? Right, when the messiahship of Jesus is confirmed, Jesus orders this to remain between them, Because who's the one who's ultimately learning from Jesus' ministry? That is the disciples. The teaching continues because of the implications of Jesus' Messiahship. For the disciples, they're learning what it means for Christ to be the Messiah. For the crowd, that we'll get to in a little bit, they're learning what it means to follow God. And so when we move ourselves from that first section, verses 27 to 30, we see that Jesus is trying to lay claim as to who he is and remind the disciples of that lesson because now Jesus is going to tell them something that is going to shake and rattle their world. Jesus in the second section is this conversation that continues between Jesus and his disciples. And this occurs as we look at it right before that transfiguration passage, right? We talked about it a few weeks ago that the transfiguration almost becomes this like bridge hinge point in the gospel of the moving from a focus on Jesus' ministry in Galilee to now he turns his attention and begins to move towards Jerusalem. So in the same way, we now get this time where right before this transfiguration happens, Jesus is letting his disciples know, friends, this is what is meant to happen. The Son of Man is meant to suffer. And I can't imagine any of us taking that news well at all. And so here in this time, Jesus foretells his death. Again, just to the disciples. It's only the disciples at this point. And then Peter, so (coughs) distraught, Pulls Jesus aside and is like Jesus why are you doing this you don't have to die and of course that's where we get this line that's when we have this line when Jesus really ratchets up this conversation becoming a teaching moment for the disciples because it's not as much about that line of get behind me Satan it's more about that second phrase that Jesus uses he says to them for you are setting your mind not on divine things but human things And then almost seamlessly, the writer here in Mark moves to now this scene with the crowds. There's no more teaching there for the disciples. Now it moves to the crowds. And we're not focusing on the Messiahship of Christ. But the disciples, still having this in mind, are going to get a completely different lesson once we get to verse, verse 34 than the crowd will. Because what the crowd hears is this understanding of how they are called to interact with God. And in that, we are reminded that the good news is not good news because it relies on physical things, but the good news is good news because it relies on heavenly things. The good news does not rely on my physical body because one day I will die. One day my physical body will deteriorate away. No, the good news is that there is something more, that my life is not simply my breath, my heartbeat, my body, my spirit, uh, but my, sorry, my body. But the good news is my spirit. The good news is the work that God is doing in my life. And Jesus seemingly acknowledges Peter for his focus on something that is physical. And it's a reminder for Peter that even Jesus' physical contributions in this world will pale in comparison to the heavenly nature in which he comes to offer us salvation Right here, those words in verse 35, for those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. And it's from this that we begin to wrestle with what we lose in order to experience salvation. Because friends, salvation, a life in Christ, it does not come without loss. And yes, that is a difficult thing to reconcile. It is a difficult thing to come to grips with. But it is something that makes our faith, that makes our salvation, that helps to play the role into God's sanctifying grace. Because it is in the things that we lose that connect us to God greater. And yes, Sometimes that even means death. Not that the life of our loved ones is meaningless, but that in their death, we experience and see the great and wonderful glory of God. In our grief, in our sadness of those whom we have lost here on earth, we grow a greater connection to God through that great cloud of witnesses that forms around us. Right, Peter is being called to sacrifice his mentor, his rabbi, his teacher, his friend for the work that God is doing. But he doesn't necessarily lose Jesus. He loses the person of Jesus. He does not lose the spirit of Jesus. Right, it's so hard to be, it's so hard it's so hard because we want the good news to always be about happiness, to always be about what is gained, and to never think about what can or could be lost, even sometimes what we sacrifice in order to fully make the good news good. Right? We will see that Peter will come to relinquish this feeling as he experiences the truth of the resurrection, and we will see that he will come to bear this mark of the heavenly realm, and he will carry it with him to the very end of his days. Peter will lose his life, not his physical life. I mean, he will lose his physical life. Peter will be crucified upside down on a cross, yes, but that does not matter to Peter. Peter does not care about his physical death, because Peter will sacrifice his spiritual life. So that he can truly know and be a part of God's kingdom. We live in this context here and now. We live in this place where we experience God's kingdom all around us, right? Christ ushered in this time where God's kingdom is both a present reality as well as a hope for promised resurrection. And yet we live in this time where God's kingdom is present all around us. And we gather together and we praise God and yet there is still work to do because that, that little feeling of the kingdom that we get when we are gathered together here, it is just a portion of it. And Christ asks us to go so much further as we continue down this path. Good news offers us offers us the opportunity to remove the things from our personal lives that stand between us and God. Right, I wholly believe this. God never leaves or forsakes us. God will never leave you. Know that, understand that, truly and fully believe that. When we feel lost without God, This may be a a hot take here. When we feel lost without God, I believe that it's us. We are the ones building the barriers. We are the ones building the walls. We are the ones putting things between us and God. And this time of Lent, as we reflect on the good news, it leaves us an opportunity to reflect on what are those walls that we build. Right, this is we're not building the 360. There are holes where God is getting in. But the fact is, is God does not want to come through those holes. God wants the access to us. God wants to be a part of our life. God wants to be there. God wants to perfect us. God wants to work within us. And that is the good news. We remain firm in God's kingdom and we seek the ways to continue to fulfill this work that was started in Christ. It's good because it transforms, it is meant to make humanity better. Because it does not focus on the physical. It takes what is physical. It takes this human body. It takes the resources that we have. It takes everything that is around us. And it asks the question, what is God calling me to do with this? What is God calling me to do with this body? What is God calling me to do with this community? What is God calling me to do with with anything, What is God calling me to do with, with money? What is God calling me to do with land? What is God calling me to do with X, Y, Z? It lives and exists. The good news is how God transforms this idea of physical and calls us to think more on the spiritual. And it plays off the spiritual and the heavenly when we realize that the perfect nature of love that exists in this heavenly realm, the perfect relationship we can have with God, the perfect nature of grace, the perfect nature of peace, they all live and exist not as a physical, but as a spiritual. They exist as an idea that we seek to share, to show, to live for others. When we realize this, it is something that transforms. It doesn't just transform us, right? We, we talk about our own physical, spiritual transformation. And call me ignorant to the to the to the state and nature of our world, but I truly believe, truly believe, that when we focus, when we live, when we exist in that perfect, complete, heavenly nature of God, that our world can be a better place. That everything that surrounds us can be better. Our friendships all of our relationships, even with people that we disagree with. When I say disagree, I mean sometimes vehemently disagree with. We may feel at opposite ends of the spectrum, and yet the good news is that we are all created in God's image. That we all live and exist in a world where God loves each and every one of us, and we, as faithful Christians, Believe that when we take up that that spiritual, when we set our mind on the spiritual things of God, great and amazing works can be done. And so I call us as we as we move forward. Right, we, we look at a lesson like this, and again we we think to ourselves, like, "What is so good?" We know what's good about Christ dying, right? I mean, we because we know how the story ends, and. <clears throat> Sometimes that comes from a place of privilege. But place yourselves in that place. This does not seem like good news, and yet it becomes good news by the works of Christ. And it comes even at a point where Christ has to completely and totally humble one of his disciples. To get them to focus on these spiritual things, to... Show the way in nature in which we lose this this life. Again, not this physical life. I don't have to lose this person, this body. But I lose the things that I want. I lose the things that I think I need to have. So that I can focus... On ways that God calls us to be together, and so, again, we're in Lent. Like this is a time of deep reflection, and so I'm asking you to kind of go deep in this time as you, you know, spend time with God this week. Is is like really like what is God's purpose for you? Because that's where it starts, right? Peter is meant to be this next step in engaging Christ in the world, but Christ, Peter cannot take that step unless he experiences the good news. And then we ask, what is standing in our way? What's in our way of really fulfilling that way and nature of God? And what do you need to lose in order to live more fully into your salvation? Amen.
0: Amen.